0: not me I'm ready for more snow it'll happen it'll happen we're uh um, let's see if I can get here okay yeah we got us so I was down over here uh telling Jason that we're uh we've got uh trout season opening up here pretty soon so it means we're going to get see Paisley's grinning from here, to here I said trout season she's lit up so we'll get one more snow by then uh, Maria just told me a while ago, and I didn't know this, whenever Keith was asking for prayer requests, that, um, okay, so a lady, a, a girl that Abby plays ball with, her brother Luke, do you know how old he is? Is he younger or older? He's older. Um, her brother's at Charlotte, and the family just said they're having to go down and say their goodbyes. So he's 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 got a lot of medical issues. He's I think he's handicapped. A lot, lot going on there, so I didn't know that until, okay, in his 20s, um, but the, it's a, a great family, um, the Prestonels, so just remember the Prestonels, yeah, hopefully hear more, sorry I don't have a lot on that. Um, we're going to be over in Luke chapter 23 this morning, we're going to try to keep on trucking with uh, with uh, this series of the, the Road to Calvary. So at first we looked at the triumphal entry, y'all remember that, Jesus riding in on the donkey. Then last week we looked at the uh, the Last Supper. So this morning we're going to be looking at the actual, the crucifixion. Uh, so I know that we're, we're we're a little off, there's a lot to, we've still got a couple more weeks before Easter. And it's, y'all probably think I'm rushing through to get to it, but I'm not. I want to build this thing up so that when we do get to Easter you will kind of see what took place prior to the resurrection. Uh, so this morning, again, we'll be over looking at the crucifixion. So what when you think of the most common symbol for religion in the world, what, what kind of comes to mind? Well, depending on the region that you're in, here in our neck of the woods, the cross. That's the most common symbol for religion that there is, no matter where you go. Churches have crosses in their church, outside their church. If you look most of the time on the Christian flag, uh, their topper up here will be a cross. We have a cross here behind me. We have crosses everywhere we go inside our churches. And people wear crosses a lot as a part of jewelry. Um, so they'll have crosses. So we see crosses all over the place to remind us of the crucifixion and to remind us of Jesus. It, it wasn't always a popular symbol, though. And the reason I say this I had Conley sing the old rugged cross for a reason. Because there's a couple things that we sing in that verse that most people were so used to singing that we really just don't pay much attention to the words when we sing it. So the first part is on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. And the this it says right here, the emblem of suffering and shame. Nobody really knows what that is when we sing it. And the second part, second line, uh, it says on that old rugged cross, so despised by the world. There's a reason we sing that. Again, the emblem of suffering and shame. During Jesus' day, the cross was a symbol of just that shame, embarrassment, a symbol of warning and a symbol of terror. There was a reason we there is a reason that we sang that because it was an ugly symbol back then. Back then it meant something bad. Back then it meant death back then it, again it was a symbol of, of or a warning more or less when they did these crucifixions they typically done them on the side of the road and it was like a, a, a roadside attraction for so many people because people would be going in and out of the city doing their commerce whatever they're doing they would be coming in and out of the city and they would see these crosses on the side of the road and on those crosses would usually be a dead body, and it may be there for weeks. It would be rotten, and there would be a sign there that t- said what they were crucified for. And it was, and it, it just say it was for uh, stealing something. They would put thief across the top of it. Or, or maybe it was an adulterer. They would just put adulterer across the top of it. And so as you rode by, it would remind you of the consequences of the sin or of the whatever it was, the law that you broke. It was a reminder that, hey, don't do this. This could happen to you. So it was a symbol of something nasty, something ugly, something that we, we don't look at it like that anymore. To me, when I see that cross, I think of something beautiful. I do, that, that cross to me, yeah, it looks like, uh, I know that it means death, but to me, that means life. When I see that cross, it means life for me. That means life ever after for you. That means that, yes, Jesus did die and suffer on that cross, I do understand that, but because he suffered and died on that cross, that means I can live forever. So yeah, I see death, but I see more life in that cross than I do death. So we've got to remember that. So when you sing that song, when we sing the old rugged cross, remember those words and what those words mean. Yes, it was an old rugged cross. Yes, it did have, it was the emblem of suffering and shame. It was, but not, it ain't anymore. So it means a lot more to us nowadays. Now, during Jesus' days, that cross um, was, again, used to, to execute people uh, by the, the Roman Empire. And it was a, a pole, so it was a two-piece cross. So typically what they would do is they had these poles. It was like a light pole, even though they didn't have light poles back then. Just think of it as a light pole. So they had these light poles stationed down the roads. Pretty much looked like our light poles down the roads right now, but it wasn't as tall. So you had these light poles down the road, and then you had a cross piece. This piece is going across here that their arms were nailed to. So that's what they would be nailed to and then hoisted up and put in place to form that cross. Now there were two different types of crosses and I'm not going to get into that. You had one that looked like an uppercase T and you had the lowercase T. We won't talk about that today. Might talk about it a little bit later. But this this pole was sunk in the ground and they were, the, the people being executed had to carry their own cross piece, their own, this beam across the, going from left to right. And, this cross was reserved. I had to find this today. That there were so many. There was not as many things that the cross was reserved for as, as I thought, but it was reserved for slaves, robbers, assassins, or rebels. That that's what the Roman. That's the Romans' definition uh, of a person that could be hung on this cross. So it was slaves, robbers, assassins, or rebels. Now, did my Jesus fall into any of those? Absolutely not. He didn't fall into any of that but yet they decided to go ahead and use it for him anyway. Now, as a general rule, the Roman citizens, they would not be executed on a cross. They only reserved that for other people, not a Roman citizen, though, because it was too shameful of a way to die. They said, no, we'll reserve that just for some other people, but you Romans, the Roman citizens, we'll, we'll figure out another way to punish you. And then you got the Jews. The Jews, if you was a Jew and you was crucified, the other Jews looked upon you as God uh, cursing you. If you were a crucified Jew, the other Jews thought that God was cursing you. So it's a big deal. The cross was a big deal back then. So many people today, though, they get confused about the cross. They, they don't see it the way that we're supposed to see the cross. We're supposed to look at this uh, totally different than the way they looked at it back in the day. We are to look at that, like I said a while ago, with, with love. And remembrance. That's a big thing is remembrance. Um, I guess one of the things that that confuses a lot of people, and we're going to read it here in just a second, is the fact that Jesus allowed this to happen, even though, you know, we talked about it was shameful to be uh, executed on the cross. Uh, The Jews thought it was shameful. So you think Jesus would think that that was shameful and that he would come off that cross or would not be executed on that cross. But we know the story and that's not how Jesus felt. It wasn't shameful. He knew that he had to die for each one of us, and so he was willing to take upon himself the burdens and the sins of this world and to be crucified and hung and humiliated and mocked on this, this cross just for us. So we understand that. We know that. Um, so we're going to take a look at the crucifixion this morning of Jesus see what we can learn about this cross, a little bit more about this cross. It's, it's, we're going to look at several different things. And one of the things I want to make clear this morning before we even read the scripture, and I'm a, I'm a big, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm big on promoting this and, and wanting you guys to always remember this. Don't worship the cross. There are so many people in this world that think at Christianity that we worship the cross. We do not worship the cross, do not ever worship that cross. That's blasphemous. Don't do that. It's abomination. Do not worship the cross. I don't care if you wear it around your neck. That's great. It's a reminder of what he did for you. But do not worship the cross. When we come to this church, you don't worship this thing behind me. We come here and we worship God. That's what we do. But it is a reminder. When you guys sit there and you look up here and you see this cross, I want you to remember what took place on that cross the same way as we look at this table and it says, do this in remembrance of me. I want you to remember that that table represents the communion and the bloodshed for us. When when Jesus sat down with the disciples and he broke bread and he drank the wine and, and he had this last meal, this Passover meal, we see that table, we remember what he done for us. When you see that cross, you do the same thing. You remember what he done on that cross. Don't worship the cross. So many people get hung up on that. They come and they, it's, it's usually the non-believers. They look at us as Christians and they say, "Well, they're, they're they're worshiping that cross. We are not worshiping that cross. We're worshiping what took place. Who took place on that cross? The, the, the person that suffered and died on that cross for us. If you take the cross and worship that symbol again, it's it's become an idol." And that's not what that what's not what God meant for that cross to represent and that cross to mean it is not to be an idol. It's not the cross that makes Jesus special either. I need to throw that out there. That cross did not make Jesus special, but my Jesus made that cross special. That's why we look at it different than they did back then. It is special, but it's because Jesus died on it that made it special. If you got your Bibles turned over to Luke 23, uh, we're going to start reading over in verse 32, Luke 23, 32. If you will stand with me as we read. Luke 23, 32. The Bible says, And there also there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, There they crucified him, and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots, and the people stood beholding. And the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the, the king of the Jews, save thyself. And superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew, This is the king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors which hang railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you, unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he cried, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. And all the people that came together to that sight, beholding the things which were done, smote their breast and returned. And all his acquaintance and the women that followed him from Galilee stood afar off, beholding. These things. Let's pray, Father. This morning, as we uh, we start this morning out with a uh, almost graphic description of the cross and the things that took place on that cross, God, I pray that it would open our eyes to that crucifixion, to the 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 the, the, the thought that Your Son, Jesus Christ, hung on that cross for us, and the, all the ugliness and all the things that had taken place on that cross prior to His arrival, Lord. It it just Lord, it breaks my heart knowing that so many people die. But, Lord, it gives me so much hope and so much uh, life knowing that because your only begotten Son took it upon himself to carry my sins and my burdens up to that cross and to hang on that cross just for me just so that I could have life everlasting. Father, that gives me hope. That gives me peace. Lord, that gives me the, 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 just, a, just a smile knowing that when I'm done here, on this earth, because of what took place on that cross, I will forever be in the presence of my Jesus, and Lord, I thank you for that. God, I pray for this, this service today, Lord, and our sister churches as well as they uh, go out and they preach the gospel, no matter where they're at, Father, I pray that you'd bless their time together, bless our time together, and Lord, just thank you for this congregation, I pray, Lord, you just uh, have a, your willing way and have a great movement in our hearts today. In all in your son's name we pray, amen. You can have a seat. the cross first thing we'll look at the cross teaches us that it's a it was a necessary death it had to happen don't sound good does it a necessary death don't th- when i think of necessary death the only necessary death i can think of is a cow or a hog that's necessary for me to eat ain't that right i got i gotta have my cow i gotta have my bacon and i gotta have my hamburger and they gotta be separate don't put them two together i gotta have them separate I say that my dad, when he processes deer, he has this thing where he takes a pack of bacon and throws in with a hamburger and he grinds it all together. It makes me nauseous. I cannot stand that. Don't mix my burger and my my bacon together. But it was necessary. So we get emotional when we think about the cross and the punishment that, that Jesus endured. And we should get emotional. It does work me up. I do get tore up when I sit And I look at that cross, or at Easter, when we start talking about that cross, and we talk about all the pain that he went through and the bloodshed and all the things that happened with the cross, it should really work us over. And it should, and it should be a a real emotion. And and kind of like he said last week, you know, we need to be reminded of these things. We need to be reminded of the crucifixion. We need to be reminded of his pain and the suffering and the torment and the mockery and all that happened with him on the cross, we need to be reminded so when I look at that cross, I do get emotional. I do get tore up. I do want to weep. I do want to cry. I want to shout sometimes. I look at that cross sometimes. I want to smile because I know what that cross means, and I know what Jesus did for me, and it ought to make each one of us smile. But we have to understand that without the cross, we would be destined for hell. If it wasn't for the cross, we would be bound for hell right now. Each one of us would be heading to hell. Romans 23 tells us, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For all have sinned. There is no exception to us. Mankind, there is no exception. We have all sinned. And we have all fell short of the glory of God. It was necessary death because we are sinners from birth. Hebrews 9.28 says, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. Again, that's us. We're that many. That's each one of us. M-A-N-Y, not M-I-N-N-E-I-E, or whatever it is. Not Minnie Mouse. Many. M-A-N-Y. We're all unrighteous in need of grace and mercy from Almighty God to to free us and pardon us from our sins because... We can't do it. We can't offer up enough sacrifices in this life to be pardoned and freed from our sins. And God says, you don't need to. I offered you the most perfect sacrifice that you could ever imagine. I gave you my son. And he was sacrificed on the cross for you so that you may be pardoned from your sins. But you have to ask him to forgive you. Jesus' death on the cross because of his perfection and righteousness, God has granted us that righteousness because, again, he was perfect. He was spotless. He was blemishless. He was sinless, the sinless son of God, not a spot, not a blemish. They couldn't find a more perfect sacrifice of a lamb. Not, I'm not, not talking about a human. There was not a lamb or a calf here on earth that was perfect enough to free us all from our sins. God knew that. Now these little shepherds, especially the ones over in Bethlehem that's raising the most perfect sheep in the world. So these little shepherds in Bethlehem that that had these flocks and they would go through and they'd find the most perfect lamb and they would go down to the temple and they'd sell these lambs off uh, for sacrifices yearly. They still wasn't good enough. They could not raise a more perfect lamb. God knew that. He said, "He created the lambs, he created the calves. He said, I've created all these, but none of them are good enough. The only thing that is good enough to save you from your sins has to come from heaven. It has to come from me. And so here's my son, Jesus Christ, to free you and to pardon you. Now, that salvation, it's not automatic. We got to remember that. It's not automatic. When you're born, or me and Paisley had a really good conversation this week. We was walking, and she's got a little friend that's Lutheran. And so I was trying to explain, you know, the Lutheran denomination to her. And they're, they've got their they're different than ours, so trying to explain that to her was hard. But christening, or confirmation is what they call it. So when they're confirmed at the age of 12, they throw some water on them and you're going to heaven. That's the way they look at it. That's not right. It's not how it works. You're not. It's not an automatic salvation. So the, yeah, they they kind of got that wrong. It's not an automatic salvation. It's not. You turn 12, you go to heaven. Abby was saved when she was eight. Every one of us has different ages when we were saved. It's not an automatic thing. There is a time, there is a place. I don't care if you're sitting in your pew and the Lord works on you and he moves you and he says, all right, today is the day of salvation. It's time to get moving. Well, more than likely, before you get out of that pew, you already saved. But it doesn't take a, a pew. It can be anywhere in your life, wherever you're at, to be saved. But there has to be a time and there has to be a place where you were saved, where you realized, Lord, I can't do this on my own. Lord, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me and come into my heart. There has to be that time. You have to have that time. It's a conscious decision that we have to make to follow him. A conscious decision. Not your parents dragging you to the altar saying, you're going to get saved today before we go eat lunch. It is a conscious decision that you have to make. It's a heart decision that you have to make. A heart decision. Not a mind. I'd done the mind thing when I was eight years old. The mind thing is when I came up and followed a bunch of my friends and my sister up to the altar and said, I'm going to get saved like the rest of them. That's a mind thing. Heart thing was when I was 15 years old and I realized I was wrong. That's when I made my decision. A conscious decision. Because I knew i was wrong i knew that i was a sinner i knew i needed to be freed from that i knew i needed a savior i knew so i took it upon myself to ask jesus into my heart my parents didn't say jesus would you please go into chad's heart for us today my parents couldn't do that as a parent i would love to be able to do that but they have to make their own decisions God, our Heavenly Father, He would love to just say, you're all saved, come on to heaven. But He He can't do that. He says you've got to make the decision on your own. You have to make a conscious decision on your own to be saved. There has to be a time that you ask Jesus to forgive you. There has to be. You've got to have that time. You've got to know that time. It was necessary death on this cross because we can never do enough good on our own, we could not do enough good on our own to earn the favor of God. We can't. I can't. I I wish I could. I can't do enough. I can't sing enough hymns. Y'all are lucky on that one. I can't sing enough hymns. I can't sing enough hymns. I can't read enough scripture. I can't preach enough sermons. I can't pray enough earn God's favor but I can ask him to save me and then from there on I can work as hard as I can to try to tell others about Jesus Christ Romans three ten says as it is written there is none righteous no not one there ain't a one of us sometimes we might feel like it sometimes we might feel like we're Righteous enough, man, we've had a good service, or I prayed really hard this morning, I'm righteous today. It don't work that way. Bible plainly, Paul's telling us right here, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Just Jesus. That is all. Number two, the cross teaches us that some people will refuse Jesus. That one hurts. I don't know if you've ever met anybody that just don't believe. They just don't believe. I don't believe that's true, that faith that Keith was talking about this morning. They just don't have that faith. They do not believe that there is a God. They don't believe in Jesus Christ. They don't believe in this cross. They don't believe what we believe. There are those people. Look at verse uh, 35 again. It says, And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he be Christ, the chosen of God, and the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew, This is the king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. Now the sign that was hanging over Jesus' head, that read, This is the king of the Jews. It wasn't meant to honor him. There was no honor in that. They were mocking him. They were making fun of him. Jesus was the butt of their jokes at that time. So that superscription we talk about that's hanging over his head, that wasn't to to glorify him or to tell the world who he truly was. That was making fun of him. That was not very nice. The, the Romans, uh, they did it as a warning to other people back in that day that would ha- claim any type of rulership over other people or over the Romans uh, or over Rome. And they were saying, you'll get the same treatment. Anybody else that comes through here that claims to be the Messiah, you'll get the same treatment. Anybody else that comes through here and says that they're the king of the Jews, you're going to get the same treatment. Well, here's the thing. Anybody else that came through and said that were liars because that truly was. That was my Jesus. He was there to die on that cross for us. So any others that may have come through after him, they were liars because the sacrifice had been done. Jesus was the Son of God. He was the King and is the King, still the King. So anyone else after that that claims it is a liar. So that cross, it reminds us that not everyone will look at the cross and come away with the same conclusion that we come away with. Some will deny that cross. Some will deny Jesus. Some will deny God. Some will deny the Word of God. Paul says over in 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. Some of you here this morning might be thinking the exact same thing. You might be thinking, I don't need that. I don't need that cross. I don't need that God. I don't need your Jesus. I'm a good person. I've never hurt anyone. You still need it. You still need Jesus. You might be a good person. Most of y'all are good people. Even that's a good person. We are. We're, most church-going people are good people. But we're not righteous people. We're all still sinners. We're all still, we all still need forgiveness. And we all still mess up. We all still say things that we shouldn't say, but we can ask for forgiveness. We do things we shouldn't do, but we'll ask for forgiveness. There are things that we say and do, God still forgives us. No, we're not the model uh, Christians sometimes, but God still forgives us, even if man won't forgive us. Believe it or not, You may have never broken man's law. Well, the youngins ain't here this morning, but they're, they're they're the couple that we have here that they probably haven't broken man's law yet. But we've all broken God's law. All of us have broken God's law. If you've ever told a lie, ever told a lie. Even as a child, if you've told a lie, according to God's law, you're a liar. We've broken God's law. If you've ever taken something that wasn't yours, then according to God's law, you're a thief. If you have ever looked at someone lustfully, then according to God's law, you're an adulterer. If you have ever wanted something that your neighbor has and you went out of your way to purchase that item just for yourself, just because your neighbor had it, then according to the Bible, you're a coveter. If you have ever... Been so mad at somebody that you wanted to kill them, then according to God's law, you're a murderer. Folks, that's, that's only six out of the ten. Four more to go, but you get my point. We've all broken God's law at some point in our life. I don't care what it is, what you've said, what you've done, we have broken God's law. I've never been arrested, I've never been taken to jail. I did get one speeding ticket one time a long, long time ago. I paid that fine in Tennessee. But I try my best to not break man's law either. I try hard. We need to try even harder to not break God's laws. Try really hard not to break his laws. I think that in reality, if we think about it, we are all sinners, and we all deserve punishment. Man's law, when we break, I don't even want to say man's law. Just think of your parents' laws. Think of the rules that you have in your house. What is punishment for breaking the, the laws in your, in your home? You get spanking, you get a talking to, you get something taken away from you for a little while. You're, you, we're punished. As sinners, we should be punished for what we do. But our Heavenly Father loves us, and what does he do? He forgives us. He don't punish us. You know, the the Jews back in the day when things happened, like just say a a child was born and had a, had a, a, a deformity or some medical problems, the Jews thought that because that baby had those problems, it was because the parents were sinners and hadn't asked for forgiveness from God. That's the way they looked at it. That's not how my God works my god doesn't punish us if if he did there's a lot of sins out there every one of us haven't confessed and we ought to be punished right now for it but he don't work like that he just forgives us and he loves us and and we go on if you've uh you either receive the salvation that jesus provided on the cross or god's going to punish you through hell that's it you either get forgiveness you ask Jesus in your heart ask for forgiveness and then he forgives you for your sins or the punishment for not receiving Jesus is eternity in hell that's all there is to it there's no purgatory there's no in between there's no second chance that's the, I, and so many people lean on that what they call deathbed confession or deathbed salvation they've lived their life just just sinful sinful life and they get sick, and they, they get bedridden, and right before they die, they ask Jesus into their heart. Did they re- receive Jesus if, if they meant it? Yeah, they received it. Folks, we can't, we can't hit your bet on that one. We don't know that we're going to be bedridden. We don't know that we're going to get sick, and we're going to have uh, just a few more days to live, and then we can ask Jesus in their heart then. Do it now. Do it now and, and, and live a life more peaceful before you do have to go. Do it, do it now. The choice is always yours. The cross teaches us that even with the knowledge, some are going to refuse. Number three, the cross teaches us that all are redeemable. All of us are redeemable. Verse 40 says, But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou... Fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of your deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. I love that. Today, you coming with me. I'll meet you at home. It's what he's telling him, paradise. When we're done here on the cross, we'll go to my place. He promised him that. He promised him that. One of the most beautiful scenes of the crucifixion is of this thief being saved on the cross. To me, the the thief and the the, uh, centurion, I mean, that's two of the most beautiful images there of the cross after the death of Jesus is the salvation of, Of these two people. The Jews. To the Jews this man was unredeemable. That was to the Jews. To the Jews this man had done too much. To deserve to live. That's to the Jews. The Jews said he deserves to die for his crimes. That's what the Jews were saying. But to Jesus he said you're the perfect candidate. You are the perfect candidate for salvation. Both of them were. Not just the one on the left and the right, or the right. Both were perfect candidates for salvation. If that one, the, of course we have the one here, it says, um, and one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, if thou be Christ, save thyself and us. He was a candidate for salvation too. But he was really mocking Jesus. There's more blasphemy there than there was anything else. He was just mocking him. But the other one rebuked him, he said. I love that. He rebuked him. And this, is, this is just Chad thinking. That one just looked over and he said, Shut up. That's just the way I see it. Do you know who this man between us is? Shut up and listen to him. Don't mock him. And then he goes on. And he asks him for salvation. He asks him for forgiveness. He asks him, can I be with you in paradise today? And Jesus said, Yeah, come on. I love it. The man had come to the end of himself and realized his sinful condition, and he knew that only Jesus could save him. There's nothing else he could do. But he knew, not up here, but down here, he knew in his heart Jesus would save him. He knew. Now, if you'll notice this, he didn't ask Jesus to save him from the pain and and the agony of the cross. He didn't say, Jesus, can you take away my pain? Jesus, can you give me a breath? Jesus, can you you grant me some water? He didn't say that. He just said, save me. Save me. That's all he asked. Just save me. He realized that of all the things that he did in his life, he was getting what he deserved according to man's law. So he knew he was getting what he deserved. All he did was ask to be able to go into Jesus' kingdom. That's all he did. Jesus, can I come with you? And he said yes. He didn't pray the sinner's prayer, whatever that is. He didn't He didn't pray that. Okay, he he didn't, Jesus didn't hand him a little business card and say, hey, uh, repeat these words and sign it at the bottom and you're going with me. You, you're stamping your ticket here. He didn't say that. He didn't come down an aisle. Folks, he wasn't even baptized. And he said, you're still coming to heaven with me. See, there is baptism. I love baptism. But just because a person's not baptized after salvation doesn't mean they're not going to heaven. That's That was another comment. Those long walks with Paisley. Y'all, I need to record some of those. You, you get some interesting stories. But how how did I explain to you what baptism was what i remember the ring it's a symbol yeah it's a symbol that's what baptism it's a symbol of our salvation just like my ring is a symbol of my marriage that's what so that thief didn't have to come down off the cross run down to Jordan, jump in real fast, let somebody baptize him and run back up there and get on the cross before you go to heaven. He just said, you're coming with me. That's what Jesus told him, you're coming with me. When, when you're done on the cross, when your life is over on the cross, I'll see you in heaven. I'll see you in, the, in my kingdom. Well, what he did get was this genuine salvation because Jesus saw the intentions of his heart. So the one thief, Amen. he did not have good intentions with his heart much like Cain and Abel. That's what Carolyn was talking about this morning too. The one thief didn't have good intentions. He was mocking God, or mocking Jesus. But the other one had good intentions with his heart. and He truly meant it. Save me. And Jesus did. It doesn't matter how far you've gone in your life. It doesn't matter how long you've been doing whatever you're doing, whatever sin you're dabbling in. There isn't one person alive that Jesus can't save. There's probably been people in your life that you've known and like, Lord can't save him. Lord, she's she's too bad. He ain't going to save her. You know what? You're wrong. He'll save them. Don't rule them out. You just keep praying for them. And keep praying and keep praying and keep praying. He can save them. He can save them. But if you come to Jesus for forgiveness before you die, there's nothing Jesus can't forgive. There's not a thing he can't forgive. I know I talk about it often, but that scale of sin that we put people on, you know, we have the people down here that, that steal a sheet of paper, and we have people up here that have committed murder. Well, that's man's laws. That's the way that we look at it. In God's eyes, if you stole a cotton ball or killed somebody, sin is sin in God's eye. That's, all, that's, that's the way he looks at it, and he will forgive you for those. The cross teaches us, that we're all redeemable, no matter what. The fourth thing, the cross teaches us that we have full access to God. This, this is one of my favorite parts of the crucifixion. We all have access to God because of what took place on that cross. Look at verse 44 again. It says, And it was about the sixth hour, and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, And the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. So, before Jesus' death, the only person with access to the most holy place in the temple was the priest once a year. And that priest would come in with the sacrifice, and he would make a sacrifice on behalf of everybody. So, only one person could go behind the curtain and commune with Jesus, or with God, I'm sorry, once a year. The significance of that veil tearing into now is because of the righteousness of Christ, because of our sins that have been atoned for, we can enter into the most holy place ourselves. Now, that don't exist anymore. We don't have the most holy of holies anymore. We don't need the most holy of holies anymore. We have Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit. We have access to, To God now because when that earth shook, when Jesus died and that earth shook, and the Bible depends on what version, uh, or not version, but what uh, book you read in in the Bible. The Bible says it was rent twain right down the middle, which means it was torn right down the middle, which means it was separated and now we have access to God. We can go to God. We don't need a priest. We don't, y'all don't have to come to me and say, hey, next time you talk to God, would you ask him this? That's not how it works. If you've got a problem, take it up with him. If you've got a burden, if you've got a sin, if you've got a petition you need to take to God, take it on to him. Don't bring it to me, Now I'll help you pray for it. I don't mind that at all. But don't, don't depend on me to get it there. But because of the cross, because of the earthquake, because that that veil was rent twain right down the middle, you can get to him now. You've got access to him now. I love this over in Timothy. 1 Timothy 2.5, it says, For there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. We no longer need a human mediator. We no longer need a, 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 a priest. The last little collar on there looks like Daffy Duck, and you go back there in the port of John with him and tell him all oh, your sins, and so that he can take it on up to, to God. It don't, don't work like that. Guess what you do? You sit in your pew and you pray. You get on your knees and you pray. You sit in your car with your eyes open and you pray. But you pray. That's what prayer is. That is talking to God. So because that veil has been torn in two, you got access now. Folks, we need to be taking more advantage of that access to God than we are. Praying more. Asking more. Forgiving more. Asking for forgiveness. We've got access. Take advantage of it. The fifth and last thing, the cross teaches us that there's still room for one more. There's still room for another. I talk about the table all the time. There's still room at the table for more. But guess what? There's still room at the cross for more, too. There's still room at the foot of the cross for more. I think there's a song about that. The ground's level at the cross. Something like that. There's plenty of room for us. Look at verse 46 again. It says, And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. And all the people... That came together to that site, beholding the things which were done, smote their breast and returned. And all his acquaintance and the women that followed him from Galilee stood afar off, beholding these things. Now imagine this scene at the cross. Alright, and this is just one of the things that I love about this. Imagine the scene at the cross. And imagine that Roman soldier, that centurion, at the foot of the cross. Now I'm I'm thinking that this is just old Chad thinking right now. That centurion probably helped drive the nails in Jesus' hand. Or he may have tied the rope around his arms while they hoisted him up. Or that centurion had something to do with the crucifixion. He wasn't there just as a guard. He had something to do with it. And so this centurion's at the foot of the cross, and he's looking up. And more than likely, while he's standing there, and he's looking at all these events unfolding, he starts feeling something. He starts feeling something. Not, Not up here. I mean, he's starting to really feel something down here. He's getting a movement. He's getting convicted of what just took place right there in front of him. Now he realizes Jesus is who he claims he is. He says, I know, I know this is who he is. He says right here, certainly this was a righteous man. Now when you read the original Greek manuscript that our King James was was, uh, uh, translated from, it says, surely this is the righteous one. The righteous one. I like it. Now, if you go over to Matthew and Mark, they both wrote, truly this was the Son of God. So that centurion, he was convicted. And I believe that centurion got saved. I think that centurion was first salvation after Jesus' death. Unless the thief died after Jesus. I don't know how that worked. But anyway, he was saved. That's what matters. And he was in paradise, too, when he went on. When he died, he got to meet that thief and Jesus. To me, that's, that's beautiful. To know that he sat there and he watched Jesus die on that cross. Suffer on that cross for him. It, it hit him, probably like a ton of bricks. It just hit him. He's dying for me and those thieves and the other centurions. And all these people down here that are saying crucify him, he's dying for them too. It hit him hard. So he was making a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ at the foot of the cross. While Jesus is still hanging there, he's making a profession of faith. While he's dying, or after he, probably after he died. In this crucifixion scene, we see two people give their lives to Jesus. All the way up until the end of Jesus' earthly life. We still see people coming to salvation. And that tells me there's still time, there's still room. We didn't got much time, but there's still plenty of room at the cross for more people. There's a song. I don't know that we've ever sung it here, but I love this little song. It's called, There's Room at the Cross for You. The chorus is simple. It says, There's room at the cross for you. There's room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. Yes, there's room at the cross for you. Still room. Millions of people up there right now. Billions and trillions of people up there right now in heaven. And there's still room for more. Heaven ain't going to fill up. There's not a cap on it right now. He said doors are wide open. Come on in. Plenty of room. Got room at the table for you. There's room at the cross for you. I got a mansion for you. I got room in my heart for you. Just come on. That's all he's saying. Just come on. So, today we've learned some pretty important lessons from the cross. Number one, it was necessary. We know it's necessary. If not, we'd have all been going to hell. Number two, people will refuse it. It's a sad fact. People are going to refuse it. They don't believe in it, don't believe in God, don't believe in Jesus, don't believe in that death, burial, and the resurrection. They're going to refuse it. But maybe we can change their minds and change their hearts. All can be redeemed. All of us can be redeemed. No matter how bad our sin is, we can be redeemed. I like this. When we have access to God, don't ever forget that. We can go to him any time. Day or night, 24-7, 365, go on to God. Take it to him. And the last one there is there's still room for more. There's still room for more. And we're going to close on that. So all hearts, or I'm sorry, all heads bowed just for a moment. All hearts clear. Probably not. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. And I I just, I'm going to ask you that. Simple question. Have you made it to the cross yet? Like the song says, there's there's still room for one. Actually, there's room for more than one. There's plenty of room at the cross. So have you made your reservation yet? Do you have a place at the table with God? So whether he comes by and gets us by the rapture or we go by the grave, do you have your place at the table? Do you understand the significance in that cross? Do you you understand... What took place on that cross and why that took place on the cross? Do you understand that it was for you? He had to. We had to have a Savior. And so God sent his only begotten son for us. Do you, I hope you understand that this morning. So if there's anyone here this morning that does not have that place that we talked about, if you have not made that conscious decision in your life, to accept Jesus into your heart. Would today be that day? Would today be the day. That you say Jesus I'm a sinner. Jesus I need you to forgive me. Jesus I need you right now. Would there be one? Father this evening as we. Close out this service. And we're going to close this thing out in your name. God I pray if there would be one here either physically inside this building with us or if they're listening online today. Lord, I pray that the conviction be laying on their, on their heart. Lord, if they are lost, bound for hell right now, Lord, I pray that you would, you would just work them over real good right now, God, and that you would allow them just to, to step forward, wherever they may be. Just come forward and ask for forgiveness. Come forward and ask for salvation. Come forward and ask your Son, Jesus Christ, into their life. Fathers, we are approaching Easter And we're trying awful hard to remember the things that took place prior to the the crucifixion and prior to that resurrection. Lord, I pray that it it sheds a little bit more light on what Easter really means. I I pray that it would move somebody to take it a little bit more serious. I pray that it would move our hearts to make us want to tell more people about your son Jesus and all that he's done for us. Lord, I pray that again this morning that you would just continue to work in our hearts lord i pray that you continue to move us god i pray that you would continue to convict the hearts of those that are lost lord allow us as christians as brothers and sisters here at the church uh, to be a witness to those that are still struggling they, they they hadn't really rejected you son but they just ain't put their faith in him yet and allow us to to be a vessel and to be a help to lead them to salvation god i can't thank you enough for today Thank you for the congregation today, Lord. I pray that you bless each one of them, keep them all safe, and bring them back here at the next appointed time. Lord, we love you. God, we praise you this morning. i this in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, does anybody have anything on their heart now? That I'll get it right before we close out or dismiss. Remember that one? <coughs> okay. All right. <coughs> Remember that? So, for y'all that don't know this, which is probably about everybody except for a couple, <laughs> um, when Miss George's house burned last year, she lost a lot of stuff including her piano so we were given a piano to give to miss georgia on behalf of the church so if you go out into the fellowship hall there's an extra piano floating around out there that we're just kind of storing it for until she gets moved in so that piano is on is a donation from the church to miss georgia so she can practice a little bit she keeps saying she don't have anything to play right now so she has no excuse now she she can play her piano now so that's uh that's from the church to miss georgia all right, we're gonna pray for Buddy. What'd you say there, Valda. Valda? Okay, we're gonna pray for that. They're hurt. Them. I'll get out here in a minute. Anybody else? November, Dave, playoff, okay. That. Who you was talking about this morning? Okay. Good. We'll keep remembering that. And Larry. And Larry yep. Anybody else? I'm going to ask Jonathan, if you will, to close us out, please. Amen. All right, we'll see y'all. I'll see y'all in the morning.